welcome to Critapocalypse episode 140. Seven, six. six. Yeah, I knew, I knew, knew the number. Mm-hmm. Real good that number, me. Um, welcome to Critapocalypse episode 146. Yeah. I'm Matt, this is Anne. As always, we're talking about stuff and things and stuff and things that we've done this week and we've done throughout our lives sometimes. Sometimes it's things that aren't even something that we've done in the last two weeks. It's just we're bored and we want to talk about something else for a change because, God, life, infinitum. I hate it. And how are you doing this week? I've had caffeine, if you can't tell, in the last five, ten minutes. Fine, so about 30 seconds ago. Why, why am 30 seconds ago? Hit record. Well, that was 53 seconds ago. No, it wasn't, because there's a 27 second long Oh, all intro, right, all right, so. Mr. Podcast Nerd, who knows how, you know, knows about time, mm. you fucking time lord, you fucking Doctor Who's it, all right? I mean, you can see down the bottom of the screen, it says section start. So, Jared Leto's back in the, the DCU, EU, isn't he? Isn't he? Talking about that, let's talk about that. Jared, Jared Leto, famous, uh, well, I shouldn't say sex criminal, I should say... Accused sex criminal, Jared Leto. I mean, he has a cult. He has a cult, uh, but also he's Morbius, and mm. now he's Joker again. He's not that big. What do you mean? Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> That's my impression of his laugh. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, Suicide Squad, terrible movie, really, really shit. Probably the best thing out of it was Harley Quinn. She escaped in, in relatively intact. And uh, and Captain Boomerang had some funny moments, but for the most part, fuck awful. Um, gave us Birds of Prey, which is good. And it seems to be giving us a good jumping off point for James Gunn's Suicide Squad, which I'm hopeful for. Hesitant, but hopeful. Um, but Joker, yeah, we could have fucking left that in the ground, couldn't we? Six feet under. Jesus Christ. Who wants that again? Well, I say that. There are people that think that Heath Ledger was a worse Joker than Jared Leto. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people with head injuries in the world wondering about it. I just didn't realise they voted for shit like that. And how do you feel about this? Don't give a shit. Cool. Good. Good on you. I'm not going to watch the Justice League. <laughs> You're not going to watch the Justice League? I'm not going to watch it's that. It's going to be four hours of excellence. It's more than four hours. Is it? They yeah. increased it because it's four one-hour long episodes before. I don't know. I thought it was like three two-hour episodes or some shit. I... Uh, Zack Snyder does Five, not... Five, ten hours. Zack Snyder is a man of intent and purpose. If he wanted it to be six hours, he would have said that. If he wanted it to be 11 hours, he would have said that. But no, he said four. Four one-hour episodes. It's probably going to be longer than that because it seems quite bloated. They've now got... So uh, they've now confirmed that Christian Bale potentially is in talks. No, he's not. Is he not? No. Who was it they said that's in talks to? Joe Magnello's going to be in it. It's Deathstroke? Yeah. It's weird blondie Deathstroke? Yeah. Jesus. It's Jesse Eisenberg coming out. Yeah, didn't they? Was Justice League the one that had the post-credits scene? Yeah. Yeah. We've got to start our own Justice League. An Injustice League... Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, we did it. He's in. He's going to be president. It was a League of Supervillains. Was it a League of Supervillains? No, he said it. we've got to start an Injustice League. Yeah, but I mean, they're super friends, aren't they? Hey, I'm going to say something controversial. It's not really controversial. It's fact. The best DCU film is Shazam. Anyway, Ant. Ant, how you doing? The best D- that- It's not Wonder Woman. It's Wonder Woman. It's not Wonder Woman. It's Wonder, Wonder Woman is dog shit. People Wonder like Woman's it great. because <clears throat> there's a female character in the lead. And it's but a really good she, film. She deserved better. It's not a good movie. You're bad at movies. It's no, I'm not. It's Captain America again. It's because your brain level ticks. No, it is off Captain America. Shazam. Beat for beat, it's Captain America again. But that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that she deserved a plot that centered around her and allowed her to use her powers. But instead, it's always like, well, we've got to work as a team for some fucking reason. I'm a god, a literal god. I am bulletproof. 
But we got to work as a team, guys. She's not bulletproof. She is. No. She has a bulletproof. Her, her wrist guards are bulletproof. super fast. Yeah. But she's still not bulletproof. Wonder Woman's not bulletproof. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. I'm the sorry. The wrist guards are bulletproof. Super speed and wrist guards that can deflect bullets means mm. she's not bulletproof. Just she's really just good at dodging really bullets. Really good at dodging and deflecting yeah. bullets. Okay. Okay. I apologise. Uh, yeah, Shazam. Best Batman DC Batman can't ever. fly, but I, he can glide a long way. Well, and he's got a grappling hook. Yeah. And he can sort of top up so he can technically sustain movement through the air possibly which is kind of flight mm. yeah it's fooling with style no that's that's what Buzz Lightyear does because he doesn't have any way to propel himself because he doesn't have a grappling hook anyway and we've both agreed that Shazam's the best DCU film I'm glad that we've done that you're first this week review a thing remember we review anything but we don't really go out of the realm of film TV or video games but and, you review a thing um, First review this week, episode 146. I'm so excited. I played Streets of Camarocho. Oh, the Yakuza Streets of Rage mash-em-up. Yeah, it's it's basically they took the first full stage from Streets of Rage 2. Yeah. Um, and it feels like it's actually running on the Streets of Rage 2 engine underneath. Like, it's just a reskin of the game, but made widescreen. Yeah. Um, it certainly uses all the same sound effects, but it's got new music. Um but it's just basically it cycles through the first stage over and over and it gets more difficult each time. More enemies, higher, you know, a bit more health. Yeah. And you play as Kiryu and Mish- uh, Majima. Can you unlock any other characters? And when you finish... Just let me finish. Oh, sorry. When you've played through once, when you've had one go on it, basically, you unlock um, Ichiban from Yakuza 7. Oh, cool. The guy from the new game that's yeah. out next month. That's, uh, mm-hmm. that's, for a change of pace, is uh, turn-based combat, isn't it? Yeah, it's so- a RPG. Hmm. The games mm. were anyway, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a, it's not an action RPG. It's a yeah, it's an RPG. It's, it's, it's turn based combat because he's a nerd. But um, yeah, it's it's all right. This it's basic. It's straightforward. It's only a free thing. Only available for like two days. So apparently, if you have the link to the page, you can still download it. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's Streets of Rage with a nice reskin. I'd quite like a proper Streets of Camarocho, like a Yakuza <laughs> thing. It fits it. And then you could like put it in the game as an arcade game or something in the main Yakuza games. That'd be it's, neat. It's really odd that they didn't take this any further, isn't it? Yeah, because you could release this as a phone thing, and I'd spend a few quid to get that. Yeah, but it's just a it's just a little thing for the 60th anniversary. Yeah, it's fun. You know, you you walk through the stages, you punch things. All the enemies are reskins. Um, there's a couple of little visual glitches I found every now and again, but I've got a feeling this was one of those things that was like chucked together really quickly and. You know, chucked out it there. It was meant to be a prototype, wasn't it? Or was that the no, other one? No, that's Golden Axe prototype. Okay. Um, which I knew, I've been, I knew for years that that was made by the guys who did Assault Android Cactus. Really? Yeah. I had my suspicions for a long time. Because weren't they just two people? Well, Assault Android Cactus was, but they used to work at Sega Australia. Oh. Yeah. But they worked on Castle of Illusion remake. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They yeah. did that. But they their next task was meant to be Golden Axe. There's meant to be like a. Basically, a collection of Sega games being remade, and like only Sega the Golden Axe stuff. Yeah, sort of. But Golden Axe was the only thing that ever got even to the prototype stage. Oh, okay. Um, and their their prototype's really good for a thing that's you know eight years old, made in two weeks, mm. um, and it's not fully there because the they ported it to Unity and didn't fix any of the things that didn't work on it, so they just removed the 
flags and reflections. You're saying modern day Sega just released something without doing yeah. their due But they diligence. put a new title screen on it and they didn't put any credits on it. Exactly. I was hoping you yeah. would, you would And they said, we spoke yourself. to the original developers. And, oh, yeah. And they didn't yeah. speak to any of them. Oh, come on now. They probably yeah. had a chat with them for about two seconds. Like, yeah. can we steal your game? Yeah, cool. Well, they didn't know. Did they not? Tim and Santana Mashra didn't know about it. Oh. So, yeah. But uh, Streets of Camarocha, though, it's fun. I like it. Streets of Age. It feels like Streets of Age. Does it have the same, like, impact to the combat and stuff yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, it's literally... I think they've literally just traced the frames and just drawn, like, <laughs> drawn Kiryu over it. I mean, he even does the Grand Upper as his finisher. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, all three characters play like Axel. Yeah. Like, straight up. But it's fun. There yeah. we go. Yeah, right. It's there. It exists. It's an uh, endless game. You know, it's one of those ones where it just wants you to get a high score. <coughs> so, you know... Give it a go. Yeah. Yeah, you review something. There's not much to say about Streets of Rage. That's it, yeah. I mean, you pretty much said everything. I yeah. mean, I imagine this will turn up on phones in a refined way at some point. I think they're doing it as a test to see if they can mm. get away. I, I'd, I would play I would play a Streets of Camera Ocho game, a full yeah. one. Well, I think that we all would, because yeah. we like games. Yeah. Speaking of video games, I'm going to review a TV show. I watched all ten episodes of, uh, of uh, Lovecraft Country. County. County. No, it's Lovecraft Country, the TV show. Lovecraft County. Is it Lovecraft County? Pretty sure it is. I've been making this mistake. I mean, I'm generally going to assume that you're getting... Oh, it's Lovecraft Country. Let's see, you got the name wrong. I told you. I said country, you cunt. Yeah. You said county. You said country. You said county. You said county, you son of a bitch. Don't gaslight me on the podcast. You said... I will kick off. You said country without the O. I do not like this game. I don't like this game. These psychological games that have been played here. Um, I watched all of Lovecraft Country, and it's it, it, it's a really, really good, unfocused, but great series that I enjoyed a lot of. There are a couple of people that I don't think would like this. Racists and homophobes, because it has gay people and black people in it. Oh, no. No! Oh, they're just pandering. And white people are treated like villains in the 50s. Oh, no. Um, yeah, so... Uh, it's a bit They're of a, just pandering to minorities, you know, 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 the largest group of people who would watch them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why they'd want to do that. Um, so Lovecraft Country is fucking weird. Um, as the title suggests, it's based on H.P. Lovecraft's books, but in like a very loose way. Um, I kind of love the fact that a racist old prick's um, works are becoming more notable thanks to the fact that there is a series that's about people of colour doing interesting shit. Um, why would you say H.P. Lovecraft's racist do you know what he called his cat this is a fun it's game dog no do you know what he called his cat you don't he had a cat not saying it on the podcast he had a cat but what was its name Tim no it was something man I'll give you a hint the first word the first word started with N nice man no it's the bad name for people of colour well particularly particularly black people it is a horrible horrible word but you can say it Aunt. go on you say it you have permission <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, so H.P. Lovecraft, racist prick, uh, and this this series is really interestingly. It deals with um, it deals with subjugation of those people during that time. Segregation was happening. Racial attacks were on the rise around America. The Green Book is a central part to the first couple of episodes. Oh, that song that um, Morrissey song. Yeah, <laughs> Morrissey's the last person to sing an anti-racism song. But anyway, so uh, Tick it has just come back from war. He when he was a kid, he was a nerdy, nevish little kid, um, and he he um, he grew up. Well, he he has a habit of reading sci-fi books, and that's that's continued on to his later into his um, his sort of early twenties, late twenties. Um, 
and he's back home to deal with his uncle George and his his father Montrose. His father's gone missing and sent a letter to his uncle George and told him that he needs to go. Well, he said, "Don't follow me. Don't come find me. I fucked off to Ardham, and it's a place that is linked to our family, and there's all these secrets and all this other shit." And from there, it spirals. So that's just the initial first two episodes. It's a really neat little two-hour. They they go across the country to go find his dad. They find his dad. Stuff happens. You learn about the Green Book. You learn about George. George is writing the Green Book, so he's actually publishing and writing it. And he's making notes. Oh, as they this go is on about how they made the film. No. Uh, oh. So first two episodes, really nice, really succinct little little storyline. And you kind of at the end of the se- the second part of the sorry at the end of the second episode, you're kind of like. Where does this go? Because they've kind of wrapped everything up. They've sort of destroyed this destroyed part of the secret organization that are dealing with magic and stuff like that. And Tick's found out a little bit about his past. And then from there, it's ghost stories. There are different clans of, of like basically all of these all of these horrible, horrendous people um, around the country, all these like groups of white people have been stealing words and stealing spells from ancient groups and, and basically when they, they come into a place they, they destroy the culture and they steal these words and one particular group has been influencing influencing Tick's family for years to the point where he is integral to a to a ceremony that has taken taken decades to arrange. And the big the main plot running through the whole series is Tick will he will he Force himself. Well, he will he be sacrificed? Will he survive? Will he find a way out of the deal that's been made through his for his entire lineage? And and getting there is, it is fucking insane. There's an Afrofuturist episode in which one character finds finds a a room that essentially links her to the entire universe, and she gets to live all these incredible lives just by choosing names. And so she says, I want to be a backup dancer for this this particular singer. And she lives that life. And then she says, I want to see what it's like to be. And she chooses this persona. And then finally she says, I want to be a mother. I want to choose to be a mother. And she goes back to her current timeline. But she doesn't forget any of the crazy shit she's learned. So she's like this super advanced being. She has like a she has like an electronic no, system. Star Trek Next Generation where Picard gets trapped in an Except artificial thing. Except they actually go back to the 50s. Thing, and he lives an so entire life. Uh, yeah, but there's but there's loads of stuff in here that's really odd as well. Like there is um, there's a, an episode where they talk about a savage slaughter. This this like this uh, this episode's called Tapestry, the Star Trek episode. Taps. Tapestry taps about Liverpool or Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Freds. <laughs> yeah, Freds. There we go. Uh, no, but Sheffield. Anyway, Sheffield. There you go. Yeah, Jesus. I'm just another Sheffield. Um, anyway, so <laughs> we don't have any fans of Sheffield. We don't have any fans. Um, so. <laughs> So yeah, so um, there's yeah, there's a really interesting episode in which they go back to back in time, and there's a there's a historical event in America that's an actual historical event, which seems a bit ghoulish, but I don't think that they play it to be like oh monsters are running around during the episode. They play it more like they're passive passive characters in their own storylines because one person Montrose, who is um, who is revealed to be a homosexual man and has had feelings for men. Um, Tick's mother that he had sex with obviously to produce Tick uh, he said that like Atticus you were my son I loved your mother I loved you but I was never in love with your mother I always had different loves I had different passions and you see that he was going home walking home with his friend when he was a kid and these white people just come out of nowhere to beat the shit out of these kids and this is like a defining moment in his life where his best friend died I'm sorry I'm boring you I know racial injustice really, really bores you um, but he he uh, 
he he sees his best friend transformer to play with. <laughs> he sees his best friend slaughtered in front of him by these men, and then this person he said this guy comes out of the wood uh, comes came out of the, the shadows with a baseball bat and goes and kicks the living shit out of all of these guys. And that's what he remembers. That was his defining moment as a kid. He was like, that's how you stand up to injustice. You'd be stronger and you'd be faster. And it turns out, like, in a, in a moment you can see coming from, for like, the whole episode leading up to this point, Tick is walking towards where his father's about to be killed in the past and he accidentally kicks a baseball bat on the floor. And I'm like, why is that there? I don't care. Kick the shit out of those racists. <laughs> and he just goes up and it's such a great stance as he walks in. And <laughs> the last words he says to his dad is like, his dad, like, has been repeating those words to Tick his entire life. And it's, it's like, it's like, you can get, you can go, kid. You can run, just run away, kid. And it's like, it's incredible. Like, and, Again, not every episode is perfect. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of episodes where it's like, oh, we've got to get this or we've got to do that. And there is even like an Indiana Jones style episode where they go through these tunnels to find this thing. And as much as like, I enjoyed it at the time when you look back at the whole series, it's just not needed to tell this story. It's a fun aside, but it's not really. And where it rounds up as well, like they have Shoggoths in there. Um, if you're a user of magic, if you're a user of words, you sort of have like a creature that, that exists in the world that is sort of like a, almost like a persona. It's like a, like a thing that follows you around. And there's familiar. Like a familiar. Thank you. And Tick has a shog off. And the last episode, they're like doing the like, the gang's getting their plan together and they're about to like collide with a villain. And he like, as he's getting all this stuff together, there's just like this, this uh, big hatch that they've got underneath this like, um, this, this uh, barn that they're using to like house all this stuff and do all their research. And you see the, the door go, and you're like, yeah, get the shog off out, get him out, get him out. And it's this massive fuck off bear looking thing. And there's a fight between two of them at the end. And it's great. Like it's big budget. It's ridiculously fun. It's really good looking. The first episode, there's this fantastic scene in which someone gets bitten by a creature and they're like, they're like, oh, my fucking shoulder hurts. Oh, shit, shit. And like, they suddenly just start transforming and it's like a really good, gooey, like H.P. Lovecraft hasn't really ever had a budget when it comes to their films and stuff. Like loads of it is low budget stuff. Even it, like in the mouth of madness, you don't really have any transformations or anything like that. You just have- reanimator. Reanimate, you don't really have any transformations, it's just dead flesh being brought to life. Yeah, but it's, it's lovely. Yeah. Um, but in this, yeah, just that, that scene where his head starts going and it like, it just starts transforming and then immediately shotgun to the face, take him down. And it was just mm-hmm. like, but yeah, it's a really good series. Like I said, if you're a racist or you're a homophobe, you won't like this. They treat, um, they treat their, their gay characters, I should say gay, because there's no like, there are characters that uh, exist in both genders, but that's usually through magic. There's one character in particular that's keeping her brother comatose, her comatose brother, sorry, alive, so that she could take some of his hair and make a, well, take some of his essence and make potions to transform into him. Essence. Because she, yeah, to transform into him because she finds that although she's a white woman and that affords a certain amount of power, she has to be a white man to move within the circles of the magical sort of entity. So, like, almost like a polyjuice potion in, in that transphobe's book. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, Lovecraft Country, uh, great. Great. And I've read the book as well. I've been reading, well, I've read most of the book at this point. And the stories are very similar. They do have some, like, follow through stuff. Uh, but I would say the book's probably the stronger of the. You know all about following through. Exactly. Uh, I shit myself on a regular basis. <laughs> I'm like one of those fucking, uh, you remember the old Play Doh dispensers where you can put, like, a star shape and you squeeze yeah. it through? I'm like that, but it just comes from my jeans and it's just, like, spaghetti, really thin, sad spaghetti with corn in it. Anyway, uh, Lovecraft Country. Uh, it's Tom Atkins. I fucking loved it. The horror, horror elements are, like, fucking hitting dead on. And then some of the more spectacular elements. It makes me feel like I'm watching a really good season of Buffy 
or like a like it, it has that, but with like better special effects, more passionate, better fucking, special effects, more Buffy. passionate characters, some really fucking strong characters. Speaking of Birds of Prey, the person who plays uh, Black Canary in, in Birds of Prey, she plays uh, yeah. Letitia, I think. Can't remember her name. No, nor can I. But she's fucking phenomenal in this. She is a force of fucking reckoning in this. It's so good to see her because she loses her shit with some ghosts. And she's like, she has like a whole episode where she's dealing with ghosts. I don't blame her. Ghosts are irritating little bastards. <coughs> she's having they are this... constantly up in your face. She has this whole episode where she's dealing with ghosts and she is just like fucking going through all of the, like at Keep first she's just like things. ignoring shit. Then she's stressed out of her mind. And then by the third or fourth day, she is a sweaty fucking sleepless mess and she plays it perfectly. <laughs> it is great. But yeah, Tom Atkins, because I don't think, I, I don't think they're going to get a second season because I don't really know where the season could go. They've kind of destroyed most of what, you know, they were searching to destroy. And also, in a great, like, it's not... done Cthulhu? Uh, no, not yet. But in well, a great... Yeah, well, maybe. Uh, but in a great turn at the end, like, because all of the people that are, like, sort of... Oh, they're going to do Cthulhu and it'll be the Cloverfield monster. Maybe. Um, <laughs> oh. But the ending, like, it's not a spoiler because because it's not really important to the whole story. Like, but in the end, they make it so that um, the magical powers are transferred back to people of colour so white people can't use magic anymore. And it's just a fucking really nice little, like... Because all the organisations are cunts and all the white people are usually cunts. Like, even the people that aren't involved in the magical organisations, they're fucking racists or they're horrible. At one point, they go to a restaurant and the restaurant doesn't have a sign that said whites only, so they went in there for food. And the fucking... The kid behind the counter loses his shit. He's just like, he's just like, oh, I'll go get you coffees and stuff like that. And he calls the owner and the owner's like, you keep him there, I'm going to come down with my shotgun. It's like... I mean... That can't be how it happened, but it probably did happen like that in America because it's America. Yeah. But I imagine that they weren't like they weren't so trying to. Now you freaking walked well, down. That's true. Actually, that's that's absolutely true. As long as you're black, you can get shot by anyone. Fucking horrendous. The world's horrendous. But anyway, Lovecraft Country. Uh, yeah, Tom Atkins. I loved it. Uh, your review, Ant. So I'm just checking something. Her name. No, I'm just checking to see if um, any of the actors from Julie Smollett from Clover from Cloverfield Paradox are in this. <laughs> No, there aren't. Not that I know of. Jamie Chung's not in Cloverfield, apparently. Oh, yeah, Tony Goodwin. Tony, mm. Tony Gold- Goldwin? Tony Goldwin. He doesn't seem to age, and he plays an immortal in this, and I was like, yeah, it makes sense. Isn't he... He was in Ghost. He was the bad guy in Ghost yeah. in 88, yeah. and he still looks the same. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. What was I going to do? I forgot. I know two things. What was the third thing? Oh, I don't know. Oh, for fuck's sake. Tits. Do you know what? Should we talk something old? Okay. Yeah, something old. Something yeah. classic. Something, something classic. Um, I, I decided last night... No, do you know what? Let's go even older. Freddy versus Jason. Let's talk Freddy versus Jason. Do you know what? This film's a jolly good time. It's not good. It's not a decent film. It's not even, like, a good story. <laughs> but do you know what I like about it? They 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 took their time to come up with a nice way of tying the two universes together. They were like, you know, no one remembers Freddy because he's a piece of shit. And in between, before this, there hadn't been a Freddy, a proper Nightmare on Elm Street film set within the Nightmare on Elm Street universe for like, what, eight years or so by that point? Yeah. I think there was New Nightmare, but New Nightmare doesn't count because that's set in the real world. That was the precursor to Scream. Yeah. But there hadn't been a J- Freddy you know, nightmare film. So they had the whole meta-textual thing where, like, people have forgotten Freddy, people have forgotten slasher movies, and we need to bring back so Freddy's powers are gone, so he gets Jason to go and kill a bunch of people in Elm Street. 
It's a lot more cerebral than you'd expect from this sort of thing. Yeah, but they they do that. Jason starts killing people. Everyone's like, oh, it's Freddy's back, even though the MO's completely different. Yeah, and it's in the but real it world. doesn't yeah. matter. I was saying that, considering Freddy's MO can be anything from slashing someone's guts open to turn them into a motorbike and riding them. Uh, you know, his MO's pretty weird. He just caused a bike accident there, didn't he? Yeah. He does some weird shit, mm. this old Freddy, but it's one sort of darker, and it's like he's having fun and being a weird pervert like normal. I just wish there but wasn't so much CGI. There isn't, there's less, um, there's less of his doing the really weird shit that comes in later where it's just pure comedy weirdness. Yeah. Um, it's more sort of Nightmare on Street 1 to 3 than yeah. 4 to 6 or whatever. That's Was there a 6? Dream yeah, Warriors is. is 5, isn't it? So your Dream Warriors, you got New Nightmare, you got Freddy Lives. No, sorry, you got you got New Nightmare's like 98 or something. Yeah, so between um, Dream... No, you got the Dream Child. Yeah. And then you've got... In between that, you've got um, the one where Freddy's in 3D. I can't remember. <laughs> it's called Freddy in 3D, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's called Free D on Elm Street. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but this is fine. There's like some human characters in it. Don't give a shit. Um, I recognise them from various TV shows, but I don't care. Um, there's some, I like some of the, you know, the plot they have is like, oh, we got to stay awake. We're going to get loads of drugs. And there's a whole sequence where Freddy's taken over the guy and he throws all the drugs away so they can't keep themselves awake. And then he like possesses Fred and Freddy possesses the kid. And he's got like the, um, drug to knock out Jason with. Oh yeah. The, Cause uh... he's like, Jason's gone a bit too far. I need to, I'm going to knock him out and get into his dreams and fuck with Jason a bit. And then you're like, yeah, it does a badass, like, stabbing him with the things. It doesn't last long, you get sliced in half, but it doesn't matter for Freddy, he's knocked the guy out. Put him in dreamscape. I love that, that they take him, they're driving him to um, Crystal Lake to try and, like, you know, set him against Freddy. Because that's where, you know, if they get him back to Crystal Lake, they figure he'll just go to sleep or something. Um, I don't think that's how Jason works. He'll probably just keep wandering until he kills someone. Yeah, probably. He loves a good bit of killing, doesn't he? He's mostly an autopilot, isn't he? Yeah. It's quite funny that they get from from Elm Street to Camp Crystal Lake in like fifteen seconds. How is it actually that far away though? Yeah, it is. Yeah, they they have a long drive because they Cause... they have to keep drugging Jason to keep him uh, asleep. Yeah, it takes true. a while. Um, but like Camp Crystal Lake's New Jersey, and yeah. where's Elm Street? Uh, Elm Street's not in Ma- Manhattan, is it? No, California maybe. I don't know. It's probably like friggin' Idaho or some shit. I don't know. Where do the old perverts live in America? The whole country, White House. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the White House. Um, but no, it's I. You know what? For for what it is, for this dumb frigging like ninety minutes of things getting stabbed and chopped apart, it's kind of fun. I watched Freddy Friday Thirteenth Part Six a couple of days earlier, and that's that's a fun old film. And you know, this is fine. I don't think it's as it's up to the highest levels of either series. You know, it's no Jason X. Which no. is a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, it's no Jason Takes Manhattan. No, which is a masterpiece. Yeah, masterpiece. Um, and what's the best Friday the 13th film? New Nightmare, to be honest. But No, no. I love what New are you Nightmare. fucking talking about? It's Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. It's Dream Warriors or it's it's Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Which one's the one where the first one's one Johnny Depp City? Yeah, the first one's not great. Like, mm. the first one mostly gets by on like a novel concept and some really gory kills. Yeah, but it does a good. It's one of those slasher movies where they actually have a fully formed character for the villain. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because a lot of those first ones don't. I think that a lot of people hate Friday the 13th, uh, no, Friday, uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, but it's one of my favourites. Mm. Um, has has aged a lot better than some of the other ones, uh, just because I think the context of dealing with someone's... Because the main character in that is apparently supposed to be playing a gay person. The person they hired turned out to be a homosexual, and then also 
Like it's all the idea of Freddy is escaping from him and he's got fundamentally Christian parents and all that sort of stuff. Like there was meant to be a lot more subtext to the parents. There was meant to be a lot more about the relationship with him and his parents mm. and it just wasn't in there. So instead you've got some fucking phenomenal special effects as Freddy's, uh, some guy's hand turns into Freddy's glove. And it like literally as the blades come out, it splits his fingernails in half and like it, nice. it it's fucking incredible. Sexy. And, um, the reason that I'd say that Dream Warriors is a stronger film is because Nancy comes back and she's not only able to sort of... Like, often in these horror films, people forget lessons they learn in previous entries in that she comes back and she's like, you can hurt him if he's in the real world. Is she in an asylum know? at the start? No, she joins the asylum to help the kids. Uh, yeah, she's she's not living on Elm Street. I've seen Street films for years. Oh, they're so good. I've watched them so many times. But yeah, also um, Dream Warriors has some phenomenal kills. It gets a lot more a lot, a lot more imaginative with the concept, and also Lawrence Fishburne. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like all in all, I would say yeah, two three are stronger. When it comes to Friday the Thirteenth, I'm like an outlier. I don't like. A lot of the ones other people like. I like Tommy Jarvis coming back in some of them. I really like the idea of Tommy Jarvis being like uh, the anti-Jason. Like being someone who's learning his tricks and learning how to kill him and stuff. He um, doesn't resurrect. He's a fucking idiot. He accidentally resurrects him. Yeah, he's a fucking moron. But, I'm going to stab him with a big old but, metal spike like, he, and then lightning hits and That could have been a really <laughs> interesting concept. And they tried to get rid of Jason for, I think it was the fifth one. They tried to make it so Tommy Jarvis may have become Jason. Yeah. Uh, which didn't really work. But I really like Jason Goes to Hell. People fucking hate it, but I like it. It's a lot of fun. Like, mm. um, straight from the off, the guy giving the autopsy and he like pulls Jason's heart out and he's like, he's like, what is happening? And it's like, Jason is like an entity that exists beyond his body and he like forced him to eat the heart and he's jumping from person to person. Like, yeah, he's a, um, little weird demon, slug like a little thing. weird slug. Yeah. And he has to get inside of a member of his family, like a child from the member of his family or some shit like that. And it turns out that um, he killed his mother and she's in... Well, no, he someone killed his aunt and she's in the basement and at the end he fucking... The little worm goes inside of her and like is reborn as Jason. It's fucking great. It's a lot of fun. And it, like a lot of people... A lot of people say it's crap, but you've got some really good characters in there. Again, you've got like an anti-Jason style character. Um, there's that monster hunter in it. And he's like, he is literally just an outrageous, like, fucking weird. He's probably running for president right now if he live, li- exists in the real world, but he's just outlandish and stupid. Uh, but yeah, I like those films. I like all slasher films. That's the problem. Like, I think the only one that I've ever had an issue with is Halloween, because I don't really get the appeal of Michael Myers as a... Because you're bad at films. Halloween's are the best. Oh, no, films. like, Halloween 1's fucking phenomenal, and I like Halloween 3, but the problem Ooh, the last is film that- was great. Yeah, 2018 yeah, film yeah. is fantastic. But my biggest problem and is Halloween Four is really good. People dismiss that one. That's, which one's that's the one where they go back to the original setup after the season of the witch. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's the one with um, the girl who's like secretly Jason's daughter. Yeah, and yeah, ends with yeah. Her with a knife. I remember that. It's a good one. That yeah. And five's but- all right. Six is not. Um, Six is bad. H two O is bad. And 2000s horror movie. Yeah. Joseph Gordon. Joseph Gordon Levitt gets killed in it. That's quite fun. Yeah. Um, and then there's. Resurrection, which for some reason, is best forgotten. Yeah, for some reason I kept thinking that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was the kid who gets killed with an ice skate in the beginning of Dogma. I think if I remember rightly in Thingy in Halloween, he gets dragged through uh, like one of those dumb waiter things. Yes, he does. Yeah, because yeah. he's one of the skate kids that goes to the house to go yeah. see if... Yeah. But um, yeah, but anyway, Freddy versus Jason. I quite liked it. That's fun. There's a bit where Freddy plays pinball with Jason's body, bounces him all over the place. And when they're having the fight, it's just Freddy slashing away at him. It's like Jason would have ripped into shreds in seconds, but they're 
They're going to drag it out a bit. Apparently, uh, the stunt double for Freddy during some of the action sequences was Rey Mysterio. Oh, really? Yeah, the wrestler, because they wanted to make sure Freddy looked smaller than yeah. Jason. So they, they got someone shorter to do some stunts. Yeah, there's there's only a few scenes in that film that really piss yeah. me off. But the problem is that it's... What was it? it was it's like, a fine mid-2000s... Well, it was 12 scripts. Slashes. 12 scripts were... Written. Well, they kept reiterating for yeah. years. It was and meant it was to just, happen in the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bunch of... bunch of, Because it, hap- it was 1992, 96 when the rights were sent out. Yeah, I think it was meant to happen after um, part six, I think, if I remember rightly. But, yeah. And Jason Goes to Hell has that... Yeah. bit at the end which was meant to be like the yeah the but it took song. years before they did it and there was talk for ages of um, having another one with Ash yeah because they had the it. glove in the in the woodshed yeah there's like a reference somewhere yeah he would have too but um I wouldn't want that I would I would say do um The Thing versus Freddy Freddy oh, versus The Thing yeah <laughs> and everyone has to guess who's Freddy it's <laughs> two Freddies and you're not sure which one's which that'd be a nightmare and Freddy's like <laughs> I need to do a blood test well, that's essentially what we got from the first Matrix film, wasn't it? If you're the real Freddy, change shape. Well, they're both shape changes. Oh, God. <laughs> Set him on fire. No, yeah. no, we both hate fire. Um, Thing versus Cousin It. <laughs> what am I, What was I going to say? I was going to say, yeah, I I think that Friday the 13th, like, it's a, it's not as strong as the Nightmare on Elm Street, just because I think that... Freddy um, versus Victor Salva, the director. Of- Freddy versus Frankenstein. That's what oh, Jason versus Frankenstein would be good. They'd get on. No, no, they'd like proper fight because Frankenstein's always treated as like a good entity, except for the original novel. Which you know, who cares about that? Um, he's he is a good treated... entity. He's people just attack him because he's different. He's not a yeah. villain in the films. No, in the books. Well, and also, he doesn't mind if you just call him Frankenstein. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't mind. I've chosen my name. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, genuinely, genuinely think that they're good series. I, unlike you, I'm, I'm a bit more sour on this film just because I think that I. There's just so much... It's a very incestuous series when you look at, like, the timeline of this and the remake and stuff like that, because I think there are a couple of characters in this who play different people in the remake, and they appear in the remake of Friday the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Can't remember either. Yeah. I I watched both the remakes, and they were Friday the 13th is fine. Friday the 13th is actually not bad. Um, Jason's really intimidating. I think the problem with um, Nightmare on Elm Street is that they play too hard into the darker aspects of Freddy. Mm. Like, everybody knows he's a pedophile, but they didn't speak about it in the 80s because it makes it more like you don't know who to trust, like the parents or Freddy. Like, you don't need to know he's got pictures of the kids and he was fucking the kids and all this other horrible shit. You just need to know that he was murdered in a boiler room and he's a fucking serial killer. Like... The parents have paid the price because their kids are now getting killed off. Like, it's fine. It makes sense as a setup, but we don't need to know if he did it or not. We just need to know that he's trying to kill the kids for that reason. Uh, but yeah, like, that fucking... That remake of Friday of Nightmare on Elm Street was just too dark. Like, it was immediately like, like he was a nice guy and you murdered him. It was like, don't look at those pictures. And they're like, what pictures? Who's this naked? <gasps> oh, God, it's me being fucked. <laughs> I'm some three years old fuck. Like, that was the problem. And it's just, ugh. Just ugh, just ugh. But yeah, but yeah. Yeah, what's your next review? Oh, am I going to get to review another thing? Yeah, Woo! No. Oh, dumb. What? what? That, you've done four things. Have I? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna want. I'm gonna just unapologetically. Uh, I'm just gonna unapologetically gush about a film for like 10, 15 minutes. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Oh yeah. So I watched a film called Love and Monsters. 
And I told you about this film, and I said how excited I was to it, for it coming out because I saw the trailer a few months ago, and it looked stupid and fun, and it had one of my favourite current actors, Dylan O'Brien. You know him as Styles from the Teen Wolf TV series, and also the main character from I the Maze Runner film, the Teen Wolf, TV the Maze series. Runner films. And I, I have gushed on this this podcast about the Maze Runner films and how good they are. They're like secret little hidden gems, well, not even hidden because I think they were popular for a while. Um, but yeah, Love and Monsters. Um, Really simple pre- pre- uh, really simple premise. Uh, one guy is dating a girl. They're in high school. They tell each other they love each other, but it just so happens uh, to be the day stop when... Stop burping during the podcast. I'll try to. It just so happens to be the day when the government are firing rockets into the air to destroy an asteroid that is heading towards Earth. They manage to destroy the asteroid, but all the chemicals from their experimental weapons they fired at the, at the, the asteroid come raining down, and everything that's cold-blooded grows into this big, massive, horrible size and become horrible monsters that just want to kill people, for the most part. Um, and Dylan O'Brien is... is um, he's, He turns up, turns up at his parents' house and they're like, what have you been doing? Where have you been? She drives off to go to her parents. He gets into the car of his parents. They go their separate ways. And then suddenly tragedy strikes. He loses his parents and he ends up with a bunk in a bunker with a group of people. And from there... We see that it's been seven or eight years. He's been trapped underground. He's become the de facto chef because he's sort of got this problem where he freezes up when monsters appear. He has like a like a weird issue. But he's still trying to learn how to like... He's trying to get better with his crossbow and he takes care of shit and cleans and cooks and takes care of the cow and stuff. And he, he's pretty happy there, but he's getting lonely. He takes care of the cow? They've got a cow down there. So you mentioned that like it's... like Oh yeah, just, of course they've got a cow. It's like it takes care of the cow and then move on. Yeah. They don't... Like, it's another movie version of farming where the cow just gives them milk instead of them saying we have to artificially inseminate the cow every Yeah, no, it comes out in a bowl. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, so yeah, so he's pretty happy down there, but the problem is that people essentially have started... Like, the group they had, everybody started pairing off and they're just... They're all in relationships and he's kind of on his own lonely. In a fucking hilarious scene... Two people come back. It's like they all live in like these rooms that are obviously a bit like college dorms. So you might have two people to a room and stuff like that. And they've got like these fucking horrible partitions. And these two people come back in the middle of the night and they're like, they're like, is Joel asleep? Oh yeah, no, he's definitely asleep. And they're like, they're like, Joel, Joel, Joel. And it's like, and because he stays quite, it just sort of like stays quite over his eyes. You know, like seeing a traumatized kid in a film where they can hear their parents having sex. Yeah. And they do that thing where they've got the cover up to their chin and they're just their eyes are open. They're just like, this is awful. This is awful. And they're just like, they start getting on. And then he's just like, he tries to sneak out. And as he's sneaking out, the couple next door to him are also getting freaky. And they have their door wide open. And he's just like, he just, he's in the doorway just like, oh, so how you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we're good, man. We're good. And you just see like, it's really tastefully done for a stupid film. You can see them like just their legs poking out the blanket being wrapped around each other. And you just see him above the hat at the bottom of the shot. And he's just in this doorway, trying not to look at them. Just being like, oh, you know, you guys, door's open. They're like, yeah, we know. It's like, cool, have have a good night. And he just like walks off. It's really fucking weird. Um, so, yeah, basically, it's, it's a semi-futuristic world. They have um, some... Stuff that we don't have yet, like they have this thing that's 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 been produced in every bunker. So uh, everybody lives in these bunkers. Initially, the idea was that they were going to have little groups of humanity go and hide in these bunkers and, and live out the apocalypse if the if it happened that the asteroid hit Earth. Um, and so they've been repurposed these little like colonies. And in his co- in every colony, they have what they call a Mavis, which is like a helping unit that's basically just like a, or it's meant to be powered 
and it just talks to you and it like sort of it can hold you but it's still just a robot that looks kind of human like with like a screen on its face think of those old do you remember the ankle robots the little like AI robots with the eyes it's kind of like one of those it just has like eyes and they um... show expression and stuff um and he talks to that when he's when he's alone just like has chats to it and just like basically use it like a, like a like a therapy dummy just like talks to it and that's it um, and one day he's on the radio trying to talk to other colonies and he gets through to a colony he's not spoken to before and who happens to be there it's the girl he left behind seven eight years ago named Amy and she's only 85, 85 miles away which is a fucking phenomenally clever idea in this film every single film you watch about the apocalypse when two people are separated it's hundreds of miles mm. and it's always like the idea is oh I've got to travel across the country to get to them. and it's just like you realise how much time that would take how dangerous that'd be. How stupid an idea miles that is. pretty far. No, 85 miles. You can you can do that in four days. Realistically, you can do that in four days at a clip. Slow coach. <laughs> but 84 miles is not that big a distance. You could do that. That's a real, realistic distance. I know there are giant monsters and stuff, and there are some incredible CGI monsters in this. It's really fucking good. But that's doable. Anyway, uh, <coughs> Joel says to the group, he's like, guys... You've got, you've all got each other and you've all got these things and I'm not really helpful here in a way I want to be or need to be. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my best to sort of, you know, work through this and get to her because I, I do have feelings for her still. I need to do this. So anyway, he travels across the country and that's, that's the film. Like he travels, he meets a few people, like I was saying to you before, uh, Michael Rook is in this. He plays like a, he plays a guy who's lost his son. Um, from basically his colony, colony was eviscerated because the monsters started moving down into the colonies. The idea is that the smaller ones are all that's left because the military sort of wiped themselves out along with the bigger monsters. So like these massive battles, and you get like some some hints to that. But obviously that's a whole other film. They smartly keep that stuff in the like in the background through like drawings and like people talk about it um, instead of having it shown. Because I think if if this was too Pacific Rimmy and like had those like giant kaiju. You'd also you'd lose some of the some of the what they've gained by just making it a shorter journey, more realistic journey. Mm. Um, and yet the monsters are great. There are some fucking phenomenal little set pieces in this. There is a moment where he has a radio conversation with his girlfriend when he's on his journey by hooking a radio up to a Mavis that's like powered. Well, it's basically that he finds another Mavis unit that's actually got power and he can talk to, but it's had its legs ripped off by a monster. And he's got a dog at this point, and the dog comes along and she goes. Oh, your dog broke my foot. He's a good boy. And he goes, yeah, he's a good boy. <laughs> it's just like this really sweet little... But there's there's this scene where he's with this Mavis and she like powers his radio for a minute so he can talk to Amy. And like she's like, I've only got like a few minutes of power, but I'm just... All I'm here to do is help people. So I just wanted to make sure I could help you. And there's such a sweet little conversation. And she goes, do you want to see a trick? And in this like moment you don't expect from a film that is just this silly... like Most of it's like action, comedy, silly like film. She goes, okay, well, I can, I can, where do you come from? Where, where were you born? And what's your last name? And he gives her his full name. And she goes, she goes, okay. And then she scrolls through and she's got like, you know, like a, like a backup of like a Facebook style social media. Mm. And she scrolls through and then it's like, she's got a picture of like her, his dad mum on her face. And he goes, and like, she goes, she goes, what would you say to them? If like, and he has this really great little heartfelt moment. It's so stupid that it's in this film, but it's like, it shows he has some acting chops and you get like, he is charming throughout the film. And it's just this really nice moment where he says, I'm safe. I found a colony of great people. And that's sort of, it's really nice. Again, like it's such a stupid thing to say about this film that shouldn't be as good as it is, but they have fought everything out in this because he says, I am safe. I found a colony of people that I love and I love the people that I'm with. I just was lonely and like, and he acknowledges all his faults 
as as our protagonist in a film about giant monsters. <laughs> he acknowledges it's not his about fault. the giant monsters. It's about the friends. It's not even about the, the journey. It's not even about the journey. He acknowledges himself. At one point, he's speaking. The the conversation he has with Amy. She says a group of people came. And they're going to take us away on their boat. And she's like excited and hopeful. And immediately he he sort of like his mind, he goes to that place. Like he's like, oh, a guy. Like because it's the apocalypse. He's traveling 85 miles in his head. He's going to get there like a hero's welcome. Hmm. And and the next scene, like it naturally drifts into the next day. And the next day he's walking past like this big partition wall that's like this, this old like uh, caravan park. And there are signs that say like, Death behind this wall. <laughs> Turn around. Don't go this way. <clears throat> and he gets to the end of the wall. He doesn't see any of those signs, but he notices there's a massive pool of water that's formed where something's mm. impacted down. And he's like, oh boy, we're probably going to have to turn around and go around this. And the dog runs into the into where the metal, there's like a gap in the metal fence, this this caravan park. And there is this great sequence of like, it's like a graboid on steroids. It like travels through. And then when it comes up, it's just got like a grinder for a mouth. And this thing is like snaking, like he's got the dog's head pressed against his chest. And then behind him, all you can see are these rows of teeth spinning and churning and these tendrils coming around. And it looks fucking phenomenal. Another thing from the end of Transformers um, 3. But good. Oh. But good, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's ridiculous. I can't gush enough about this fucking movie because I loved it. I genuinely loved it. And I think that if you watched it, you wouldn't like it the same way I do. I think that you'd enjoy it, maybe, but for the most part, I think that... I only watch quality films like Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> I might, if I give you a copy of this, maybe you can watch it, because I paid for it now. I bought it. It's, it's somehow, like, they were smart enough to say, because it had a January release here and America, but they've gone, they've cancelled the January release because I don't think cinemas are going to recover in the way they want them to, and they put it on VOD, and because it's sort of surprise released a month after the trailer came out, hmm. people have bought it and it's number one. Like it's doing fairly well, and it only had a budget of thirty million. But you wouldn't think that from watching it, like the set dressing, the like the CGI, the last act is the last act's a bit weird. It feels a bit out of place. Like maybe they had two scripts, and this was the ending to the second one because Michael Rooker sort of abruptly leaves, and the way he leaves is like he's like, "We're going to the mountains. We're going to go to the mountains." Uh, because it's rock and like there's less cold-blooded shit in the like the peaks because it's snowy up there so they won't really live up there and they're like oh, okay cool and and like sort of that feels like that would be the end of this movie rather than the midpoint but then Joel goes off on his own and then there's like this thing to do with a boat and the ca- the captain she talks about earlier and he's sort of like he's a more he's someone that could be established more I think because it doesn't really feel like a proper threat um, he does in the sense that he's like a romantic threat but I don't think that works for what happens in the film when they finally meet up, which makes it more interesting. There is like there is a moment that backtracks on that, but it's still like it still feels more like the definitive answer is they awkwardly see each other. She kind of dated someone in between like the end of the world and eight years later. <laughs> and oh, how dare she! <laughs> and she acknowledges that him to him that she had like she has feelings for him but not the same way he has feelings. And he accepts that and doesn't just fuck off in like a hump. He's just like, I really miss my colony, so I'm probably just going to make the journey back. Like he meets her, he sees her, and that's mm. all he needed. And then he like, as a gentleman, as like a normal human being, he's like, I'm probably going to bow out the situation. If you don't like, I mean, if you don't feel the same as me, I get it, I understand. And you're looking for an escape for these people. Because she's, she, at the end of the world, she somehow ended up with like a group of old people, like older people from a, from a home. 
And she sort of, as they got older over the eight years, they stopped being viable, like, sort of hunters and gatherers and stuff. So she's doing her best to keep all these people alive. And, like, she makes the makes mention of people they've lost that may have been her age. So I think that that includes the guy she was with. And I think that, like, they sort of, they developed a colony where it was older people being looked after by younger people, but they lost some younger people. But, like, the film is great. I can't recommend it enough. And I think that a lot of people are going to see it, hopefully. Um, I think here it's going to do really well on VOD when it's finally released. Because let's go through American iTunes again. I think I paid $20 for this, which is like 16 quid. It's the most I've paid for a film on fucking iTunes ever. And it was great. I'm so happy that I bought it. I might even get it on 4K Blu-ray and it's really That weirdo here. actually uses iTunes. Yeah, I've got an Apple TV. 4K. Blu-ray! 4K. But I might get it on 4K Blu-ray because I genuinely love this film. Yeah. I want them to make a sequel. And if it only costs 30 million to make this and they could do another sequel for another 30 million, that'd be spectacular. Uh, your review? They'll do a oh, oh. sequel with um, robots. I'm going to give it Tom Atkins for me as a personal thing, but I don't think that that's a true representation of what but this is for other people. Tom Atkins, but which one of us has met Tom Atkins? You have. Yeah, I know. I met Tom Atkins. That hurts me that you said. <laughs> yeah. Star of Season of the Witch. Yeah. My favourite. And Creep Show. Yes. Yes. And Maniac Cop. Yep. And Maniac Cop 2. Gets killed in Maniac Cop 2. Gets yeah. the knife through the throat, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Classic. Mm. That starred Robert Bizarre Face. He's also in In Search of Darkness, which is a documentary about horror films. It was very good. Oh. Yeah. He's a really interesting guy. Even now, he's like, he's getting close to 90. Yeah, he was like in his 80s when I met him. Yeah, getting close to 90. And he, the way he still talks about stuff, he still laughs and he's still really sprightly and he's like really on it. Nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's a lot more friendlier than Jonathan Frakes was. Yeah. Speaking of Star Trek, I'm going to talk about Star Trek later. All right. Um, but first, I'm going to talk about Greetings from Tromerville. Oh, okay, yeah, it's cool. It's a documentary about, it's sort of mostly about Lloyd Kaufman, but it is say, about yeah. trauma pictures and stuff. Um, and it's like two over two hours long, just Jesus. over. Um, but it's basically just following Lloyd Kaufman's life, but it's all told from him. So there's a series of interviews they've done with him. Um, it looks like they did these interviews over the course of a couple of years. Um, like, they're all in yeah, different he's, locations. He's aged a lot in the last decade. Well, he's, he's always looked about the same to me as old <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman. He's like 74, I think, now. He is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been following Lloyd Kaufman's stuff since the friggin' early 90s. Like, me and my mates at school used to watch trauma movies. Um, I, think, I think the first one I ever saw was Toxic Avenger. Yeah, we had like Toxic Avenger and Sergeant Kabuki Man. And Didn't have Sergeant Kabuki Man. Stuff. Um, I back had... in the days when there was only a handful of them, Class Nukem High was one. That's what I had. Yeah, Class yeah. Nukem High. But this goes all the way back to like his early days, um, his cameo in Rocky, um, his friggin' like, yeah, he's in Rocky, oh, very yeah. briefly. He's yeah, a drunk yeah. sitting outside a bar yeah, and yeah. Rocky picks him up and drops him off inside. Um, that's his cameo. <laughs> um you know, and he's worked on a bunch of films over the years, but it's basically just him recounting his life story and the projects they worked on, and the sort of gradual move from like him directing all these movies to producing them and buying other movies to put under the Troma banner. Yeah, because that's sort of more what they've done in the last few years. They've been sort of like there was that reboot of Class and Newcomb High, and they weren't going to make a reboot, but they got offered a bunch of money to make it, and it would be guaranteed two films. So they're like, yeah, we'll do it for another production company. It's fine. Mm. Um, and it is, it's a trauma film. It's in the first one they shot in digital. Um, if I remember, that one's not bad until like the midpoint, and then it gets weird. They're all weird. Yeah, I know, but it gets weird. There's a little bits about Tromeo and Juliet and stuff. Yeah. And, but um, yeah, I really like Lord Kaufman. He's a, he's a surprisingly intelligent guy who just 
really loves violence and tits and swears. He's churned and... out some of the best directors of our time. Yeah. I like, mean, he's worked with everyone. That's I know. the crazy thing. Like, like David Cameron. No, uh, James Cameron and fucking... He, he freaking went to school with... Um, oh, what's his face? Who's the guy who did JFK? Oh, um... I want to say Tony Scott, but it's not no, Tony Scott. Yeah, freaking um, Peen. I oh, can't remember his name. Steven Spielberg. No, it's not Steven Spielberg. Did <laughs> but him, yeah, the guy who did JFK. Can never can't remember his friggin' name right now. But um, no, he's been around for years. It's a good documentary. It's I think they should probably like some of the interviews they shot just like awkwardly. It seemed like they were shooting at conventions and stuff, and the sound quality dips on them and all this sort of stuff. There's inconsistent quality, and I kind of feel like they should have cut those interviews out and just got him to repeat stuff in other interviews so it would all sound consistently clear and also maybe trim the film down because it's like a documentary about trauma films that goes on for two hours kind of feels a little bit like it drags a little like you could have chopped this down a little bit and got that trauma pace but it's rattling along faster yeah but um it's quite nice seeing all these interviews with like the various crew and stuff like that like you know people had worked on one film here and there um they mentioned james gunn a little bit for tromeo and juliet which he's probably the most famous person to come out of, you know, Troma Studios' work. Like, yeah. you know, there's a couple of actors here and there who had tiny little ro- roles in Troma films early on who had gone on to do other stuff, but James Gunn's the only one who's, like, you know, heading up million, you know, multi-million dollar movies consistently. Well, wasn't, wasn't James Cameron working on working on films for them? No. Nah, James Cameron never did. What was the film that James Cameron... Was he did Piranha 2. That's not Troma. No, it wasn't, but I think that Lloyd Kaufman had something to do with that, didn't he? No, it's a Roger Corman. Production. Oh, Roger Corman's who I'm thinking of. I'm a fucking mm, idiot, sorry. Egypt. Yeah. But, um, no, it's it's a fine documentary. It's, you know, I do, I it just sort of like, could have felt like, you know, maybe if they'd done all the interviews in one place rather than what seems to be four sets of separate interviews and all this, like, you know, bring in the consistency a little bit. Um, but I'm guessing they were just shooting it as they went along, which is, you know, the trauma way. Just do it as, you know, cheaply and, you know, easily as possible. They were probably just like going, hey, we're going to be in this area at this time. Are you going to be around? Yeah, right. We've got half an hour to record. Yeah. We've got an hour to record a part of an interview. You know, they probably just shot it all like that, like, you know, making sure they were in the same area as him yeah. at a certain time and just record interview stuff. I think that's how together. they get a lot of their films. Yeah. yeah make it as cheap as possible, probably. Well, yeah. That was kind of the Roger Corman way, wasn't yeah. it? I think that's who Lloyd Kaufman worked with as well. I don't know. Roger mm. Corman's like a different school of thought. He's uh, much earlier than Lloyd Kaufman. Roger Corman goes from like the 1950s. Yeah, like he's old school. But I think that Lloyd, Lloyd Kaufman learned like a lot about budget and stuff from Maybe. him. I think I mean, that was something that I Roger Corman, Lloyd Kaufman like didn't start making movies until like the late 60s. Yeah. Like he didn't start working. He was at uni and all that. Yeah. Or college or whatever it is in America they do. He was a salesman, know. wasn't he? No, he, was, he just did film whole career. Oh. He went from college straight to making movies. Whole life, um, but no, it's it's a fine documentary. It's on Amazon Prime. It's been on there for a while. Um, you have to do a bit of searching for it, like you do with anything on Amazon Prime. You have to friggin' jump through a whole bunch of hoops to try and find stuff. Unless you know the exact name, you know the name of the thing you want to watch. Yeah, finding something on there is a nightmare. Well, you know that's all user generated content. It's a friggin' nightmare. It's a bit like YouTube, so people can just submit shit to go on Amazon Prime. It's like you filter for horror movies that you are included so in your Prime subscription shit. and you have to you have to cycle through so much trash. It's like through <laughs> about six pages before you get to anything. Yeah. 
Like, at least organise them by year of release or something. It just seems to be random. Like, just a better scrolling mechanic. It's awful. Yeah. But it's especially stuff like when they split 1080p and 4K films up into separate I know, entries. why? Like, that's really irritating. And you can barely tell which ones are mm. 1080p because the little icons they use are like five pixels wide. It also takes about five minutes for it to load the HD content. It's just pooey bums. Amazon Prime's bollocks, especially on it's console. Shit, isn't it? Especially on console. It's so dumb. The amount shit. of stuff when you go on there and it's just like, hey, you want to watch this? 249, please. And yeah. it's like, I'm subscribed. Like, give me something for my subscription. Just let me watch anything yeah. other than this shit. I was trying to find if any new releases were anything I recognised. And I scrolled through pages before I got to anything that was like a film that's mm. a real like that people know of. Oh, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's fine. That. Greetings from Troma Reveal. If you're a Troma fan, you're going to get a lot out of it. I mean, I am a Troma fan. It doesn't talk much about um, the TV series they used to do. Um, Troma, I think it was called Troma TV. Mm. We used to have um, Bulimia and the Naked Cowboy. Do you remember the Naked Cowboy? He's dead now. No, no. Um, he was a guy who used to jump around in New York in his underwear with a cowboy oh, in, hat playing um, guitar. In he was, sen- he's famous, like world famous. Yeah. He turns up in all sorts of stuff, but he's um, he was came from, like they used to stand around with him and he would film stuff and they'd get him on camera. While they're in New York filming the TV show, so I used to watch that back in the nineties. He's, he's on not dead. TV. He's still alive. I'm sure he died. No, Robert John Burke, known as the Naked Cowboy, is an American actor. Son, yeah, he's forty nine. Nah, I'm decided he's dead. He's dead now. Ned bulimia there. One sec, Naked Cowboy, dead. No, he's still alive. I've decided he's dead. Killed him. Murdered him. He's wearing a mask in one video. Mm. Still looks pretty good for forty nine. Yeah. Yeah, you're surely looking at the real Naked Cowboy and not looking up some other... I mean, you would probably find some other websites. Huh. Big dicks. Yeah. Big uh, dicks are poppin'. Um, greetings from Tronville. Give it a watch, I suppose. <coughs> I say, it's a bit long. We could have paced it up a bit quicker. Um, But, you know, it's nice to get some stuff on Poultry Guys. Ron Jeremy's there. He's a bit of a monster. Yeah. Um, You know, everyone... Jeremy? Ron Jeremy, the porn, oh, yeah. the porn actor who apparently has abused lots of women. But, um, it does not surprise me. But he just... He looks terrible. He <laughs> Every does. time you see him, he, he just looks, looks worse and worse. And grosser. He look, he's like he's like a shrinking version of Hulk Hogan. He's like, Bleh. yeah, he's got hot dog skin. He's starting to look like Pizza the Hut. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, when are we going to get a nice, good documentary on Max on uh, Mel Brooks? That's what I want to see. He'd want to direct it himself. Nah, he'd he'd just he'd have a ball of a time doing an interview. You know, he'd freaking love it. Let's let's have a documentary about Mel Brooks, man, and. Sp- Focusing on the best films, friggin' High Anxiety, Young Frankenstein, Blazing, Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs. Oh, even yeah. Robin Hood Men in Tights, Dracula yeah. Dead and Loving It. Uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It has some of my favourite jokes in it. I really yeah. like that film. But yeah, Greenstone Triumphville, watch it. Yeah. Maybe, if you feel like it. I don't know, I'm not your mum. Sounds like sounds like a good one. Yeah, what are you going to review? Is it your last review? No, the third review? it's the last review. Oh, All God. Right. So I'm going to review something... Um, on the switch, it's yeah. called. Okay, so I'm going to explain this to you, You're and take I'm ages going to repeatedly it. say I'm not a pervert because I'm not a pervert. You are. I played a game called Undead you were Darlings. Just Googling naked cowboys. I played a game called Undead Darlings. Okay. Subtitled No Cure for Love, and it is a dungeon crawler love simulator. About six zombie, well, half zombie girls protecting a guy named Reggie, who is their loot donkey, who's basically carries around weapons and stuff they find in the dungeon. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and they're doing their best to get a cure to somewhere where they can mass produce it. Now, 
It is. You played like. Um, Why you were... did you buy this? I didn't buy it. I was sent it. Well, then you have to say you got the code. Oh, sorry, I got the code for review purposes. Yeah, got the code for review purposes. Okay, no. I want to be clear. Get us in trouble with the friggin' sorry. Hashtag hashtag ads. Mm. Um. So yeah, so you go around. It's like, do you remember? Do you remember the Persona side game, the Q Persona Q Labyrinth? Yeah, yeah, it's essentially the same as that, except oh. it's like a school and like police station and factory. Like you just go through the levels. You have random encounters. There are also like coins that have like an undead cupcake zombie looking thing in different colors to note different levels of battle. And you basically just go for each level, trying to find bits and pieces and level up. It's really basic persona style fighting without the like the collectathon aspects. So there's no monsters to collect. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's it's I guess. There are like a lot of annoying things about it, but for the most part, it just plays like any other one of those dungeon crawly games. I think probably the weirdest thing about it is that when playing on public transport, I felt weird. Because <laughs> when you get to the dialogue options, it's like girls with like some bandages on them and big anime eyes, and you can say some weird stuff to them in some of the dialogue options. At one point, one girl comes into a room and says, oh, I thought you brought me breakfast in bed. And then she goes, I'm not holding any food. And it's like, exactly. Oh. Uh, the dialogue snap. She forgot to bring food. No, because he wants her to see on his face. Anyway, oh. so, uh, yeah, it's fine. It's not great. Not terrible. If you like, if you're looking for an anime dungeon crawler and you like the idea of zombie girls and, like, there are some fun, as- like, fun ideas to it, I think... Probably the biggest annoyance is that it has weapons that, that die after a few uses. Aww. So if you get like a powerful weapon and it just it dies on you. Um, Do you have a funeral for it? No, it just breaks. Um, and also some of the monsters are a bit unimaginative. They're like sort of flat, flat 2D, 2D monsters. They don't really animate or anything like that. They're sort of just like, they're stationary objects. And also there's a Rasta Ed 209 for some reason, which <laughs> I'm pretty sure hasn't been cleared with any sort of copywriting team. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, it just plays like it's. How'd you know Ed Two and Nine wasn't a raster anyway? Maybe he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's really hard to fuck a when game like this. Shooting that guy, you can hear him going. Bruh, 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 bruh. <laughs> That's all the smoke was actually is from his from his ganja. Yeah, not from the guns. Yeah, it's from his ganja. Yeah, that's his ganja guns. Yeah, <laughs> shooting you full of love. It's ganjaling guns. It's <laughs> fucking awful. Gatling. <laughs> Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. That was bad. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to fuck up a game like this, and they don't. They 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 get the aspects that are. They get the aspects that are important to an RPG dungeon crawler, right? It's just I wish there was a bit more. I don't. Want, this is a fucking pun and a half, isn't it? I just wish there was a bit more life to this half zombie, half zombie girl RPG I you were dungeon say you had crawler. Meat on your boner. Oh, here he comes with the puns. You're very good at this. this <laughs> I'm enjoying this energy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fine. Like, if you're into this Oh, shit. I was going to review Medieval. Oh, fuck it. Yeah. If you <laughs> if this is the sort of thing that you like, if you like those Dungeon Crawler RPGs, it's a really simple idea. I think that if it's on offer for like a 5 or a 10, it's probably going to be fine. There's a lot of time involved in playing it. Like, I, I spent hours playing it, and I don't think I've gotten all of the levels unlocked yet. It's an RPG. Yeah, it's true. The time sinks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I just was it cool? 
Undead Darlings, No Cure for Love. Oh. Yeah. It's what you'd, what you'd expect from this. It's I think on the Switch. The Switch is full of these like yeah, love romance no, visual novel I games know. and stuff. The visual novel stuff isn't for me. I there's don't a think Picross there's... one coming out soon. I saw it come up. Oh, a new Picross Hot game. And I looked stuff. at it and I was like, nah. Um, yeah, like I said, it's it's unoffensive. It's it's you know it's fine. The dungeon crawling stuff's done well enough. I just wish there was a bit more attention to that. Because I think that if the sprites were maybe a bit more interesting or moved a little bit, maybe a bit animated, that'd be so much better. Um, and I think that they spent a lot of time doing the dialogue for the, the romance sections, and I really don't think that's this game's strong point. Just because once they get some of the puns and some of the jokes down, like it can be a bit... You don't want to read through an hour's worth of text to get to You'd the next You'd be amazed how many people just want to read hours of text. That's true, isn't it? Visual novels are very popular, right? Yeah, they are. It's like 50-50 for me on this one. Like, I enjoyed the stuff that I played, but I don't think I'm going to continue it to the end. Um, I'm You're gonna... not going to... F- Go to completion, you're not going to finish yourself. Finish <laughs> off. Yeah. And I say complete yourself on your chest. Mm. <laughs> or finish yourself in a sock. Or don't bother. Yeah, friction burns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, yeah, like I said, just totally down the line, middle stuff. I'll give it a toe for grace. It's fine. What would you call vegan toe for grace? <laughs> His name is tofu already. Tofu grace. Yeah. 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 Your review, Ant. Yeah, he probably is a vegan. He strikes me as a sort who would be. Yeah, Toby Maguire's vegan. Is he? Yeah, he's a right arsehole. Who? Toby Maguire. Oh, Toby Maguire. He was a vegan during Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Oh, that hot dog that he eats in the New York scene, that's a tofu dog. Oh. A little fun fact for you! Oh. You're coming out with your Spider-Man facts! Yeah. It was only, what, 18 years he's ago? He's only delivering multiple pizzas because he needed extra pizza barriers between the pepperoni and his hand. Yeah. He didn't want to go near it. He's offended by his presence. Yeah. I can't believe they cut out that douchebag scene from that film. <laughs> you know, we're in the elevator and the guy with the spiked hair is like, let me, let me get some ideas in, let me get some ideas. Like, that's a 2000s guy. Do you not remember that? No. Have you seen Spider-Man 2.5? I've probably 2. got 1. it or whatever. Yeah, so the, in the extended one, he, he you know where he's going in, He's going up to deliver pizzas to? Is it Elizabeth Banks? No, it's not. It's, um, it's uh, no, Elizabeth Zoe Banks Deschanel's was the, sister. Um, was Betty Brant. Yeah, it's Zoe Deschanel's sister that's at the desk and he's delivering her pizzas and as he's in the oh, elevator, yeah. there's this guy with spiked up hair and he's like, he's like, he's like, you know, I really like your costume. You know, have you ever thought about like maybe a logo or a word you say and stuff? And he's like, he's like literally like 2000s pitch man. Mm. You know, the kind of guy that doesn't have any skills so instead he just says words. He's like clicking his fingers. Good ideas, man. Ideas, man. That's it. Like ideas, man. I've got ideas. I've got ideas. What about Monster Energy Drink? <laughs> <laughs> Monster Energy Drink and who's that guy from Blade 2 Norma Reedus let's get out of here <laughs> in the background you see you see um, what's his name um, Hideo Kojima's just like oh <laughs> Monster Energy Drink Norma Reedus oh my mind I've got they an idea do a meta joke where Spider-Man gets sponsored by Marvel Comics and he has to be referred to as Marvel Spider-Man everywhere he goes <laughs> They're going to mess up that third Spider-Man film, aren't they? I think it would be funny if it turned out it's not anything like the rumours everyone thinks yeah. it is. If it's got nothing to do with multiverse. What's well, the fact that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire both signed on to be in it? Well, the people have said they are. They've both it's said they are, confirmed. haven't they? They've said no. publicly they are. No, the only thing that's been confirmed is Jamie Foxx, but he's playing Electro, but everyone assumes the Electro from Amazing Spider-Man, when I think it's more likely he'll just be a different Electro. Yeah. More likely. He'd be a really good villain now. I don't think he was... He'd be a good Electro if he wasn't glowing green and basically Edward Nigma from Batman Forever. Yeah. Well, look at him in fucking... He glowing can, blue. Look at him in Baby Driver. He's great in Baby Driver. Yeah. Jamie Fox is all right. Alongside a real world monster. 
Oh, Kevin Spacey? No, the kid, Ansel Elgort. Oh, yeah, he's a bit he's, of a He's a bit of a weirdo. Yeah. Edgar Wright, he's like just gradually everyone in that film. <laughs> John Hamm will never do anything wrong. John Hamm is a good man. I think the harshest criticism he's ever had was that time he was like, what happened, what's so bad about being elite about stuff? What's so bad about being good about forget things? And people had a go at him for being elitist. And he's like, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with being good about stuff? Why do we hate people who are smart? No, no, no. Like he said, what's <laughs> wrong with being good at stuff? Yeah. yeah. No, I can see. He basically became his 30 Rock character. Hmm. Although I think, was that before his 30 Rock stint? No, no, it was after 30 Rock. I'm was sure it? of it. Yeah, it no. wasn't that long ago. Because that would be a joke. That would be something that his character in 30 Rock says. Do you remember that he was just dog shit at everything and people kept paying him money because he was handsome? Like he, yeah. he was like he was like, I get paid so much money to train people how to play tennis and it's it's really just my life's goal to like, you know, get someone to the championship and then play tennis and he just keeps fucking missing and he's like, Oh, you're getting better. You got me on that one. She's like, I didn't mean to. She's like he's like, Oh, is that our last one? She's like, Yeah, I'll go get it and he bends over to go pick it up. She goes, I'm giving you a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Alright, anyway, your review. Yay, my last review. Yay. Uh, Star Trek Next Generation Season 2. Oh, I thought you were going to review Borat. No, I said I was going to review Star Trek. Oh, all right. Go. What did I review Borat? Did you not watch it? I don't give a shit about Borat. Oh, I watched it. Anyway, Season 2 of Next Generation. Yeah. Far less uh, problematic episodes than the first season. I mean, the first season had one problematic episode, so... What was the problematic episode in the first season again? Uh, the one with the, the, the super racist uh, one. Oh, yeah. Where they come across that alien race that's all friggin' um, basically a colonist idea of Africans. Yeah. Um, but no, second season, it's where things are building. They're doing a good job now. They're like, the characters are coalescing. They've done a bit of a shake-up. Worf's now security officer taking Tasha Yar's place because she went and died. Uh, you know, Geordie's now the head of engineering because they didn't really have one in the first series. There was like three separate people who got referred to as the engineering chief. Which, you mean uh, Horny LaForge? Yeah, Geordie LaForge. He's not. He's just really bad at stuff. He's Randy. He, not often. He's just shit. Is this a series where he falls in love with a hologram? No, that's... um. <laughs> uh, what episode is that? That's friggin' season three. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's in season oh, three. Oh, Horny LaForge. Um, yeah, with the... Um, you know why he needs to wear that The hologram of the woman who created the... It's so fucking funny when the real person turns up and they try to make it look like Hordy... Like, Geordie's... Hordy! <laughs> <laughs> to make out like Geordie's, like, in the right. It's okay that he's got a hologram of her. Oh, yeah. Leah Brahms, that's the name of the character. Yeah, yeah. Um, But no, anyway, second season, it's, you know, it's got some actually genuine classic episodes in there. It's got Measure of a Man, which is, like, not it's just... the best. The best Next Generation episodes. It's one of the best episodes of TV ever. It's like, mm. that is... Fantastic. And then, you know, 20 years later, they took one of the characters from that play, put him in a different actor and had him murdered by his girlfriend for no reason whatsoever. And then she spoke, she got no repercussions from it because Picard's a miserable fucking show. Um, but, you know, way to ruin that. <laughs> but yeah, Measure of Man's fantastic episode. It's worth just popping that on. Um, this just lots of really good stuff this season. There's a couple of, uh, there's an episode that I think's fucking hilarious. It's, it's, it's a bad episode, bad Star Trek episode. But basically, um, Deanna Troy's mum comes to the ship again. Okay. Um, and she's basically going through the Betazoid menopause. And apparently during this time, their like their libido uh, multiplies by four, it quadruples. Or at least that's what Deanna told Riker. She didn't want to scare him. 
when they were dating years ago. And so she's got her eyes set on Picard and Picard's like, how am I going to get the hell out of this? And he calls up Data and when they, when she's conned him into a date. Yeah. And he's like, Data. Date, uh... Data. And he's like, Data, you you know, Data's got some interesting stuff about random, boring, like, space shit. And she gets, he, like, coerces him into the, sit in the room and just start explaining all this space shit to Luxwana Troy. So eventually she calls off the date. And then Picard's like, you know, I've got to get the fuck out of here. So he goes into the holodeck and hides in the Dixon Hill novel while Xander's running around the ship trying to find a new person to date. And she like grabs Riker and Riker's like, right, Riker, I'm going to announce Riker's going to marry me tomorrow. And Riker's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and Deanna's like, Riker, she's like, can't you say something? And he's like, no, this is kind of funny. I'm going to write this. <laughs> kind of just find Riker it. was going to bone down. That's he, what Riker was going to do. He wouldn't complain. Um, and the episode is also notable because it's the one where Mick Fleetwood makes a cameo in it as a oh, giant fish person. You can go your own way. Yeah, where he's just like in a weird fish costume and he can't even see his face. Sounds about right. And then was like, they're really weird looking. Was, yeah, well, maybe humans are weird looking to them. And Worf standing there going, they are so majestic. <laughs> fucking love them. Um, but that episode, that's a bad Star Trek episode, but it's fucking hilarious. And nothing happens, nothing sci-fi happens in it until the last five minutes. Alexander goes, oh, by the way, those fish dudes have got bombs in them. You probably wouldn't pick up on it, but I got it on the sidekick. It wouldn't have shown up when they went through the transporter, but they've got bombs on them. And they're like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, there's, there's some good stuff. You get the first Borg episode, Q, you know, in, he, he wants to, I can't remember what it was he wanted. I think he wanted to be a, a member of the Enterprise crew for a while. And yeah. Picard was like, no, fuck off. So he the flings cutest. him to the other side of the galaxy and yeah. he ends up like bumping into the Borg before they're due to. Um, but really, it's kind of like Q's way of getting them prepared for the Borg as such. It also lays down a little bit of the backstory of Q and Guinan apparently knowing each other and not liking each other, which is never explored again. Um, but yeah, they keep. This is at the point when they haven't decided what Guinan is or who she is. And they keep alluding to her having, like, you know, many husbands and children and being alive for hundreds of thousands of years, maybe. And, you know, she's some of a race of listeners and all this sort of stuff. And in the end, she's just an Elorian. She's just the same race as Malcolm McDowell's character in Generations. And then they, and nothing mysterious about it. They're just old. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but they, yeah, it's at this point where they haven't really decided what Whoopi Goldberg's going to be in the first series. They've just yeah. got Whoopi Goldberg, so let's make her mysterious. There's some really good stuff in this series, though. Lots of, lots of fun episodes. That first one with the Borg is great, where they're trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do. It's got the bit where the Borg cube cuts a circle out of the Enterprise and pulls a like a whole cross-section of the Enterprise out. And they lose like 14 crew members, and that's like the most people who have died in Star Trek at that point in one go, like from the crew. Because mm. so far in the first series, I think the only person who died was like Tasha Yar out of the crew. And it was a major moment in that series. But in the second series, like they wanted to up the stakes and make sure you know the Borg are fucked up. So they're just like, yeah, they kill like 14 crew members. Like, none we know, but, you know, it's a big deal. They did that in seconds. You've got to be worried about it. Like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a good series. It's like everyone's finding their foot in, the, the crew starting to assemble into their final form. Um, we got friggin' Dr. Pulaski there for a series because Beverly crushes actress Gates McFadden. Um, she. Well, I think she wanted to go and try some other stuff instead of Star Trek. She wasn't feeling it or something, and she went off for a year and that didn't work out and then they got her back but Pulaski's fine I quite like Pulaski um, she's got an interesting she's, she's um, she's got an interesting sort of approach she's more like Dr McCoy and mm. she doesn't like transporters there's a whole episode where they could solve this problem they've got with her if she someone just had a log of her going through a transporter 
because they could basically pick out what parts of her DNA, she's aging rapidly, Mm. um, are infected with some virus and which parts aren't by using the transporter record. But because she's always been scared of using the transporter, no one's got a record of her. She's never used it on the Enterprise. And her previous ship, like, no, she never went through the transporter, man. It's been, like, maybe once years ago, but it's been erased. So they had to, like, do some crazy stuff. They figured it out. Oh, well. That's but, good, as long as they figured it yeah. out. And she uses it later in the series in one episode, and she's just like, oh, I do not like this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I like the idea that someone doesn't like want, doesn't want to go for a transporter. Well, yeah, it makes sense, because it kills you. Effectively. <laughs> it tears you to pieces and then re- recombines yeah. you. It's a ship of thesis thing, isn't it? Are yeah. you still the same person? I mean, your matter got beamed, did it? I don't know. Well, it got digitised. Yeah, it? I guess. So it was travelled, like, it got killed. It's a scan. That's the problem. Like, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, you would. Well, I might do it, yeah. Yeah, you'd see if you could come out as a fry, a fly, <laughs> rundle fly. But, um, no, season two of Next Generation. We're, we're getting there. Season yeah. three's got the um, some of the big episodes, and a lot of people say season three or four are the peak of the series. But um, I like season two. It's good. It's good. Good series. It's good. Yeah. I still know what you're talking about for now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Alright. So it's my last review. That was your last review. This is my last review. I don't think anyone told Wesley to shut up in that series. Shut up, Wesley. It's a key thing. It needs to happen more often. Well, when you've got Horny LaForge, you don't need to tell Wesley to shut up. You need to tell Horny to stop masturbating because those eye, those eyeglass things that he's got. It's a visor. The visor. You know, it killed his blindness once. Mm. And we know why he went blind. There's one episode in that where they're having... They're, they're going to have like a war game type thing where yeah. Riker's going to command an older ship and it's just a trial run to test out how the tactics work would work against Borg and all this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and they'd go into great detail explaining how dilithium crystals work and antimatter injectors and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But like in Star Trek Discovery, they're just like, oh, dilithium's basically a fuel. <laughs> like the dilithium crystals all exploded years ago in Discovery and um, apparently in this new future they're in. And they're just like, no one's got dilithium, so we can't do ships on war. We have to use something else. They've got different ways of doing it. Yeah. Um, but, like, the dilithium's not a fuel. Dilithium's a crystal that is attached to the warp core. When antimatter's injected into it, it converts it into a, a form of energy that can be used by the warp core. It's not a fuel. If a dilithium crystal exploded, you'd just make more dilithium crystals because there is dilithium crystal, like, refineries and stuff. But hey, you know, I'm not going to pick holes in where Star Trek Discovery's going. Yeah. Because the first two episodes have been all right in the new series. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've heard it's better. It's, it's yeah. And it's not Picard. That's is. good. Yeah, well, as long as it's not Picard, no, it's well, safe. What's your last review, you... So my last beard. review is Borat, oh, sequel movie film. Subsequent movie Subsequent film. movie film. Um, to I make mean, gift for Vice President, Vice Dictator, Michael yeah, Pence. Yeah, that's it. It's got a really stupidly long full title. It does have a really stupidly long full title. So, yeah, yeah, uh, everybody remembers Borat, right? It was only, what, 14 years ago? I remember when Borat was just a TV character. Yeah, so do I. I remember when Seth Seth Rogen was writing for the American version, Ali G in the USA. Yeah. Yeah, Seth Rogen started out writing that. Oh. Yeah. Um, So, anyway, uh, yeah, so um, Sasha Baron Cohen. He's become a figure of well, he's he's a very intelligent man. It turns out that he's you know he's very smart, very astute. Um, he chooses bad movies to be in, but for the most part, he's quite smart. Um, and he's recently publicly been quite critical of things like social media and social media not having um, 
adopted, uh, uh, you know, like a, um, what's it called? Filter for, for fake news shit. Yeah. Because nowadays, apparently, the truth is subjective if you're a fucking right-wing leaning cunt. Um, yeah, so so they have... Um, facts don't matter, man. As long facts as you don't care about your feelings unless you're really feeling like you hate black people because apparently that yeah. is legitimate in America. Um, anyway, so, yeah, uh, Sasha Barakhan, he comes back as Borat, and this is a sequel, and um, you can tell that part of it was filmed during lockdown. You can also tell that this was probably intended to have a cinema they release. they the whole thing during lockdown? Pretty no, sure. they haven't, no. Because it, 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 there is a timeline of events of real-world stuff that happened that lead that give you an idea of when it was shot and when stuff was happening. Because yeah. um, you remember last year there was that video that went around of Sasha Barakhan singing that song where... Um, Actually, it was early this year, but like in January. It was January. a couple of months ago. No, it was like January. It wasn't that long ago. Was it not? Well, he's at the white supremacist rally and he's dressed, yeah. he's singing some stuff. Yeah, that was like two months ago. What was that? Two yeah. Two yeah. Jesus. 2020's been five years young. Oh my God, it really has. Anyway, all right, so let's get into it. So this one has a plot, much like the first one had a plot. It's a very loose sort of thing and it's it's basically just a coat hanger for which to hang the events that happened during this film. Um, Borat has... Like bad grandpa. Like bad grandpa. My bad grandpa. Which actually wasn't that bad. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't good. It wasn't terrible. Um, anyway, so Borat has... Um, basically, he's been giving a second chance because after the last film, he made an embarrassment of of, of um, Kazakhstan. And so the Kazakhstan government have got him out of prison. He's been in prison for the last 14 years. And they are giving him a chance to go over to the USA and deliver upon Mike Pence their most famous celebrity, which is a monkey... That is so smart he can drink a cup of tea, but oh. he's also quite aggressive. They make jokes about stuff that the monkey's done. Um, and so Borat's like, yeah, I'll do it, but I can't go speak to Trump because I pissed off Trump last time. And it cuts to a scene from the first Borat where we're shitting out. Do you remember that? He's, he's oh, shitting outside Trump yeah, Towers. Shitting outside Trump yeah. Towers uh, with a newspaper. Um, so apparently that upset Trump. So he's not going back that way. He's going to give it to Mike Pence to go and make it so that they can have a trade agreement with America because America are are showing strength by only aligning with people that show strength and they've got pictures of, you know, um, they've got pictures of, of Kim Jong-un and all those other people shaking hands with Trump. It's quite funny. Mm. Um, anyway, so he gets to America and and the monkey is delivered in like a big crate. He goes to open the crate and inside it's actually his daughter who's like this feral girl who lives in a cage in the back of his old house. Um, well, in case she escapes. She escapes and then she jumps in yeah. with the monkey. You always keep the daughters and wives in the cage. Yeah, I know, I know. But she jumps in with a monkey and then as they're opening the box, she jumps out and this poor delivery man is obviously the the get in this scene. But he's like, he's like, oh God, oh no, oh no, she's, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be killed. And she's like, I ate, I didn't eat the monkey. He ate himself. She's covered in blood when she says it. She's like, I didn't eat the monkey. He ate himself. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, oh no, oh no. And he goes, he goes, all right, duck down in there, duck down in there. I've got an idea. And she ducks down and as she ducks down, she, he, he goes, help me seal her in. Help me seal her. And the guy starts bringing the nails in with him and sealing out. And then from there, the plot is that Borat basically wants to um, turn his daughter into someone that is um, the ideal right wing sort of personality for their side so blonde hair like fucking stupid like skinny blue dress shit um, and and from there just it's <coughs> lying down on the floor shitting herself yeah, yeah yeah in a college party yeah and then going with an AR-15 the next day to be like bully me I dare you and then becoming a right wing pundit <laughs> yep that's America mm. America apparently they're a third wo- first world country but uh, more teetering towards third they don't have healthcare for everyone so they've got to be closer to third 
Um, anyway, so yeah, from there, like I said, it, it, there is, of all the segments, the whole film is fine. Like, it's pretty funny in some places, but there are some scenes that are fucking awful. Um, one scene that is just crap is that they go to get a cake to deliver with a girl and they get the woman to write on it, to write it, um, Jews go home. And then just a bunch of smiley faces. Because <laughs> she's like, do you want something written on there? And he goes, he goes yeah, I want to I wanna make them all happy. So can you write, Jews, go home. And then she's like, okay. She starts writing. <laughs> and then she's writing it. He goes, put some smiley, like put a big smiley face. She goes, I put little smiley faces. <laughs> just like she just doesn't care. Uh, which I thought was fucking hilarious. But then, like, there's a scene... This is going to spoil a, a section of the movie, but it doesn't matter because it doesn't actually come back into it in any way, shape, or form. Um, but basically, his daughter picks a cake, and they've got these little, like, it's a boy or it's a girl cakes. And she picks, like, a small cupcake with a toy baby. And she, like, he's like, I can't sh- let anyone see me giving you this cake. So they go around the back of the cake shop. And he's like, he's like, don't touch it because it's a treat. Girls can't have treats. And so he's holding it while she sort of eats it. And she's eating it too quick. She's going a bit crazy. She accidentally swallows this plastic baby ornament that's on top of it. Oh, yeah. And then because she's worried about like it coming out of her and like tearing her to pieces, because uh, it's got arms like that, um, basically he goes to a doctor with her, but they go to a, a Christian doctor. And he's like, he's like, okay, I want you to get the baby out of her. And the doctor's <laughs> like, we don't do that here. We think every life is a miracle. And she's like, but it's going to rip my anus apart. And he's like, but we don't do that here. And he goes, I put the baby in her. I need you to get it out. And he's like, did you say you, your, wait, what's your relationship? And he goes, I am her father. I put the baby in her in a butt dumpster behind the cake shop. And now I need you to get it out of her. And the, the guy is, the guy is clearly very annoyed and very angry. And he wants to say more than he says, but he keeps his cool pretty. But, Considering that they, like, the setup to that is what I fucking hate, but the actual scene in which they're explaining to an anti abortion doctor <laughs> how he wants. Isn't that just the friggin' um, jackass thing with a car? No, but it's not meant to be, like, they're, they're not getting x rays or anything like that. Oh. He is literally just trying to wind up a Christian, a Christian doctor who won't help his daughter abort their incest baby. Oh. It's all just words. There's no, like, x ray or anything like that. It's just, like, he's just ripping. And this guy is. This guy's very, very uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, like all in all, it's not great. But I think the thing that everybody's talking about, and I think the thing that I'll probably talk about now, is the Rudy Giuliani scene. Holy fuck is that? That needs... Oh, yeah, I saw that. It needs to kill his career. It won't. It's so He's fucked. His entire career is being a massive mistake. Like everything uh, he does is a mistake. But this is so bad. I did just read that people are throwing eggs at him though. Yeah. So Rudy... He's told she's 15. He claimed he was just tucking in his shirt when it's like he's clearly touching her and... He claims she's... Okay, so she's 15 in the film, in the context of the film. Yeah. And she is a, she's a teenage news reporter for her own channel and she says she's 15. And, like, the cameraman who is Borat, who he says he identified straight away, he Borat goes into the scene twice. So initially they're having the chat and she's like going through the interview, Borat comes in dressed as a sound guy and he says, do you want to check levels and stuff like that? Do you want to, maybe you're not ready for this, maybe you're not ready. And that just leads Giuliani to egg her on to stay. Mm. So he's like, no, stay in the room. No, she's doing fine. She's doing great. You're doing great. Stay. This is again, this is the height of COVID. He's not wearing a mask. He's not socially distancing. He's touching and he's fucking weird. Um, 
So she goes, I can do this. I need to do this or they'll kill you. Because by that point, the conceit is that if they don't make someone happy in the American government, Borat will be killed by the Kazakhstan government. Hmm. So, um, so yeah. So, and, and so, um, she says to him, Oh, do you want to have a drink in my room or do you want some water? Or do you want to go back to my room? So they go into her room and she goes, I'll help you with your mic. And as he's getting his mic taken off, he puts his hand on the side. Which is one of the creepiest fucking things yeah, I've ever seen. Because he's creep. And then, and then <laughs> after she's taken that out, he's not untucked or anything. He's just wearing a shirt. She's just taken it off of his shirt. And then he lies back on the bed and he starts putting his hand down. And then he pulls it out a little bit. And then he puts it back in. Yeah. He's got, and a, like, he's just readjusting. Yeah. And it's just, it's one of those things. And like, then Borat comes in and he's dressed in like a brassiere. Yeah. So, and, and yeah. he's just like, take me. Fuck me and my man pussy, because I'm and like apparently Sasha Baron Cohen says that the the scene went on a little bit longer than what they shot because they change angles. They've got two hidden cameras, so they change the angles. Mm. He said the scene went on a little bit longer than they shot, and like maybe one day he'll release it or something like that. But he felt like that was a point that he needed to engage. Yeah, like apparently she was uncomfortable with the touching in the first place, and they mm. didn't expect that to happen. They thought that it was going to be a bit more. Is going to be a, a bit more professional, yeah. But apparently, like there was like a lot of touching, like he tapped her on the knee and stuff, and just shit like that, like just weird, weird old man shit. And mm. then like the putting his hand down his pants and fucking around with his dick, just <laughs> so weird. Yeah, but it won't do anything to him. He'll. Mm. <laughs> the thing. Nothing sticks to these assholes. <laughs> yeah. But one of the like one of the weird things about the film is that if they got Mike Pence in that situation, that would have been hilarious. Oh, Except insane. he wouldn't have been touching his, and he would have taken Borat. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he also wouldn't have an interview of a woman. No, no, he not without mother in the room. Not without mother in the room. Um, but one of the weird things is, and it's not a spoiler to say this, but the film ends on a fairly happy and optimistic note. Mm. Like unlike the first one, where they sort of like they're just like, oh, he's achieved his goals. He's got his iPod Nano, and he's he's done his interview and shit like that. It was just a goofy ending. In this, um, like they become a mother, they become a, a father daughter team, mm. and they've got like their own video, like movie thing. And instead of the running of the Jew, which was the ending of the last one, they've got the running of the Americans, and they've got these like they've got oh here comes Karen, she's coughing on everyone. <laughs> they've got these masters and they spray out this gunge, and they've got Doctor Fauci, and he comes along and he's got like, this big foam like um, uh, vaccine needle, mm. and Karen pulls out an AR fifteen. <laughs> It's like, it's like, oh god, this is amazing. This is phenomenal. Um, but yeah, it like ends on a really positive. Like they literally, they like they say, oh, we've we've defeated the the patriarchy in the mm. in in Kazakhstan. We've made it so that women are equal to men, so women can shit in toilet now instead of in cages <laughs> and stuff like that. And like, and um, and yeah, like there are moments in the film that are surprisingly tender. He makes friends with two conspiracy theory Trump people. And I found him quite endearing. <laughs> they're both like, basically, he turns up and he just goes like, oh, can I stay with you? And they're like, oh, everybody's in lockdown, man. It's like, yeah, but I don't have a place. Can I stay with you? And so apparently he stayed in character for five days, hanging out with these guys. <laughs> and they're really sweet with him. Like, there's a scene where he's being a twat and he's like banging on the wall with a pot. And he's like, I got some of the virus. And the guy's spraying anti-back after him. He's like, <laughs> dude. He's like, tss. He's like, dude, like, they're like working together. Like, there's are just wandering around with a fucking full-on rod on. 
just in the middle of doing like crunches and swinging stuff and you can see them both just trying to look down and keep like and they have these really silly stupid conversations about like conspiracy theories where they're like this is what we believe and stuff like that but when he brings up something that he thinks like when he brings up something completely outlandish they call him out and they say that's a conspiracy though that's not real like that it's like it's really and like they help him talk to his daughter because his daughter won't go anywhere near him so that he convinces them to give her the storybook she had as a kid whilst he does the song that was at the right wing rally and to be fair no one realises it's him like mm. you can see them singing along and oh, chanting yeah, yeah, along I saw the video. they yeah. get into it like but his two friends are like there she is there she is we've got to go give her the book and it's shot from cameras like they're way away <laughs> Like, you see these two guys running over and trying to like go to her like they're going to kill your dad if you don't do this if you don't do that and she's like yeah it's great it's it like there is um there is a scene that I think has caused a lot of controversy which is um he does dress up like you remember the first one the stereotypical look of a Jewish person like long nose and claws and like fucking wings and stuff like the same racist shit that actually happens in some countries America um <laughs> The UK, oddly enough, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he turns up and he has a, like an incredibly tender conversation with people that are Holocaust survivors. Like, they talk to him about, like, what their faith is and who they actually are. And, and they're, like, basically say to him, look, we're not what you think we are. And it's weird how much patience they have. I don't know if they're in on the joke or not. They don't seem to be. They have a lot of mm. patience for him as a, as a character. And that's really interesting. It paints them in a fantastic light, but I think that it, it kind of maybe not do Holocaust shit in a movie where you've got people that are already, you know, fair game. You don't really need to do the Holocaust shit and something like this. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the correct format is to deal with that sort of stuff, but I don't think it's a comedy film on Amazon Prime. What if it was on Netflix? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe on Netflix. Go get more budget. Get Will Smith yeah. involved. You get the guy from Tiger King. Done. He fucking he fucked a tiger. Did he? Do you not hear about like what they found in his loft? <laughs> so they didn't. Ugh. Anyway, Borat movie film surprisingly tender, surprisingly better than I expected. That fucking that that shit with Giuliani is fucked. That really creeped me out. It kind of puts a damper on the whole thing. But for the most part, the film. Especially because you had your hand down your trousers at the time. I was tucking my shirt behind yeah. my dick. Yeah. <laughs> you got to tuck it round your dick, just in case yeah. you need to piss through your shirt. Yeah. So you tuck your, and then you jack off a little bit. That holds in place. You yeah, just, jack yeah. off a little bit, and then it, use the friction to hold your shirt. No, in you place. don't. You just you jack off so you can pin it directly down the seam of the trousers. Mm. So if you piss, you piss down. Mm. Piss down. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know who hasn't seen this already. That you know, I think it was fairly popular. I think it's been like a big thing. A lot of people watched it. Um, you always get that same argument where right-wingers will be like, oh, it's fucking leftist propaganda. And like, they don't like it when they look like idiots, but so often they look like fucking idiots. I'm not saying people on the left don't look like idiots as well. I've said my fucking share of stupid shit, but for the most part... Yeah, at least... like the last 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that could be probably thrown into there as well. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I like to think that if you're coming from the side of, you know, wanting things to be better rather than depriving people of good things, I think that you're always going to come off at least sympathetic. Whereas the right have a lot of ideals that are horrible and fucking shitty and they're scummy cunts and I fucking hate. Yeah, but you're not you're not meant to say that. Oh, am I not? Yeah, if, oh. you, if you criticise them for it, then you're um, lefty leftist yeah. propaganda. No, you're harassing them. Oh right. Yeah. Hey, hey, you know what I'm going to do after this? I'm going to go take some food. Starve one point two million yeah. children. It's fucking insane, isn't it? 
Starve 1.2 million children. Oh, and by the way, uh, Dominic Cummings, apparently he wasn't the only person who got let off his council tax bills. Really? Yeah. Surprising, eh? Weird. Yeah. I had to go to court. Yeah. That was 600 pounds. That 30 grand could probably have fed a few of those kids that they're starving. So could that 12 billion they spent on a track and trace thing. It doesn't work. It's more than that, mate. It's continued to go up because they've been paying people seven grand a day. Yeah. I could make a better fucking app and I can't code. Apple and Google made a better app. Yeah. They released open source coding for it as well. Did you hear that? Yeah. Fucking, it was completely free and able to be used. And they were Cambridge fucking Analytica. Mm. Of all people, the mm. people that fixed an election for Donald Trump. Because they, a load of them have money in Cambridge Analytical. They're all fucking scumbags. Anyway. Cunts. Tories are cunts, guys. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Borat, surprisingly, so, surprisingly right. tender. Really, really decent. But like, again, not perfect. And the humour's not for everyone. And I still, I think that, I think that when George W. Bush was in power, it was easier to make a joke of these people. Mm. Now, the joke is that they're somehow in power. And that's upsetting more than anything. Mm. Yeah. But um, but still really good. I give it a, give it a Helen Mirren. Yeah, you'd give it to Helen Mirren. I mean, I would. Mm. 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 Oh, we didn't talk about the fact there's only two more Fast and Furious films coming out. No, it's not. After Fast Nine, they're doing Fast Ten and Fast Eleven. That's it. That's the end of it. There's a million more. No, I mean, that's the end. They're never going to end. No, because Hobbs and Shaw have got yeah eleven films. No. And then you got to bring Paul Walker back from the dead. You got to merge him with a car. Yeah. And then you have got the Knight Rider series, which is going to be Vin Diesel. In a car with Paul Walker's brains, like Tammy and the T-Rex, but with a car. Oh. And instead of it being like a central system to the car, you just need to put him in the radio deck, you know, the removable part. Hmm. That's all they'll do. They'll keep hot squatting. The blow punked spot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a blow punked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just like in uh, MacGruber. Yeah. Anyway, Ant. Say goodbye. You've been Ant. I've been Matt. You're no, a, I haven't. You're LV54 Space Monkey on Twitter. You're also Mellow Gaming on YouTube. And you're reacting Sentai Yopper Ranger on YouTube. Maybe. Emily Gaming on YouTube. I'm Crit Apocalypse on YouTube and on Twitter. Yeah, that's it. That's We did a thing. We did a thing that was positive. We did a good thing. We didn't <clears throat> starve children. So we can't join the Tory party. Oh. Damn it. It's time to get some of that money. You can get really rich working for them. Yep. Oh, selling your soul is... Uh, yeah. Anyway, say goodbye. Bye, Bye. everyone. Love you all. Fuck sticks.